0: Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call. It's
1: 499-9526. And you put a 225 in front of that number, and you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. That's right. And we really appreciate hearing from
0: folks who are out of town, or out of the 225 calling area. Of course, we appreciate hearing from folks here in Baton Rouge as well.
1: That's it. Give us a call. Whole Now's a great more, time. Oh, yeah. A
0: whole lot more interesting than listening to us. Just sit here and battle, too. <laughs> I will absolutely assure you that. That's it. So So we got just about one entire hour of fun ahead of us. You just go ahead and use Kyle. We're going to put you up to the top of the list, get you some free advice, kind of help you out and point you in the right direction.
1: That's it. And should you happen not to want to go on the radio with us today or you think of something during the week after we go off the air, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronym, A Great Company. That's it. That'll get you to our site, and there's a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours. That's right, and most of the time, a whole lot faster. That's it. Just 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 depends on when. Well, that's
0: right. I just happen to be sitting at the computer, which most of the time I am. Even during the day when I'm at work, I try to check that at least three or four times during the day. Sure. It's never going to be too, too long of a wait. Just go ahead and send me an email, and that's the way to get in touch with me. Now, the absolute wrong way to do it is to either give me a call on the phone or come by because I'm just not going to be able to stop and talk to you. Takes one hundred percent of my time just taking care of the folks who have their cars in the shop. So don't get insulted or feel or, or yeah. upset because I just can't answer phone calls during the day. If you got a problem or you need more information, we have people trained and ready and willing and able to help you. They are answering the phones all day, and any one of those people can help you with any problem you got. Just about. If it's something that you just need a personal answer on, you send me an email and I'll get an answer to you. Or there you just go. Just wait till Saturday morning. There you go. You can get a live answer. Yes, call. That's it. You can talk to me all you want. And we're going to our phone lines with Todd. Good morning, Todd.
2: Hello, Lewis. I appreciate your show. Yes, sir. Thank you. I have 93 Jeep Wrangler. Okay. And I'm losing clutch pressure. In other words, with the clutch fully to the floor, uh-huh. sometimes it's hard to get in gear. Okay. And it will act like I'm releasing the clutch and roll forward. Okay. That's either master or slave cylinder. Yes, sir.
0: Almost every time it's going to be one of the two. And most of the time, if it kind of slowly bleeds up, it's going to be the master more so than the slave.
2: Okay. The slave is internal. I've replaced the master cylinder.
0: Okay. Unless
2: I just got awfully unlucky and got two. Well, that's not as
0: unlucky as you might think, Todd. The parts you buy today, man, they are just, I mean, sorry. You probably can't get an original equipment part for a vehicle that old. But not only that, they are a bear to bleed out. They are. You may just I mean, have, still have some air caught in, it. Right. it's a real booger to try to get the air out of them. I know we've got four or five different methods, and we usually end up trying all five of them on some cars before we get all the air out of it. That that's, could also be the case.
2: That's what I was thinking. Maybe I'm doing something wrong on the bleed. I've had I've led many, many of them, man. Oh, yeah. It,
0: it, well, it seems like back in the old days, you could just push the pedal to the floor, open the bleeder screw, tighten it, let up, and that worked pretty good. But on a lot of the newer systems, that just doesn't really get it. We've got a pressurized tank we use on some of them. On many of them, we have to use a reverse bleeding device. We've got a thing that actually pressurizes the bleed port, forces the fluid backwards through the system. That works well on some of them. And it's just got vacuum where we can suck the fluid through it. I've seen on certain vehicles, we may have to use all five methods to finally get a decent pedal on them. From
2: what I can see it's got an internal slave cylinder. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it looks to be there's a quick connect
0: on it. Like a C line. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. See, if it, you were it, leaking there, you'd have a pretty good puddle of fluid underneath the vehicle though, because all that right. fluid would have to go somewhere.
2: Yeah, there's no real fluid. Yeah, if it's not there. all wet
0: on that's probably not it. And it would have to leak a pretty significant amount. If you think about how much fluid is in one stroke of that mouse cylinder, it's a fairly good amount. It has to leak that much out before the pedal's gonna come back up. So you'd have a pretty good leak. It'd be dripping out of that bell housing if that was the case.
2: Yeah, there's, there's nothing.
0: Yeah, I'm more would probably still got air caught in those lines.
2: Should I disconnect that quick connect on the slave cylinder? I rather than no, no, I wouldn't
0: do without, that because it's most likely going to start leaking. And you going to have a real big problem on your hand if you do that. They hardly ever reseal once you disconnect them you know they actually sell a kit with a master and slave already put together and pre-bled just for this problem of course you gotta pull a transmission out to change it but sometimes you almost got to go to that other than maybe bring it to a professional and having them try to bleed it there's a number of different devices and methods that pros use could also probably go on the internet and maybe buy you some tooling but i have found that the ones that they're kind of like a pump or syringe and they force the fluid backward through the system those seem to work better than most of the other
1: stuff
2: Okay, They're um, not too but, expensive. Okay, I haven't seen those, but I can look around. Yeah,
1: it's called a, a Phoenix Bleeder. Phoenix Bleeder? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, now for somebody would have one?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure where you'd have to get one. We bought ours online a few years ago, and we've been using it ever since. It works pretty well, though. Okay,
2: it might be out of my price range. though. It
0: may be, yes. It may be cheaper to pay somebody else to do it for you.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: I mean, if you're going to um, spend $150, $200 on a bleeder, and somebody can bleed it for you, 45 bucks, I mean... Yeah. Okay,
2: y'all, uh, and y'all have the equipment. To, uh, oh yeah, I, yes, I should
0: be able to bleed it out, or at least tell you why it's you know not why coming, it's not up. working. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, I'm gonna try just the, the gravity feed. I mean, just yeah, you know, that, yeah, that hardly
0: ever does it because what's happening is that air is actually coming back in at the bleed port while it's open, and see, it's trying to go uphill to that master cylinder. Unless you could flip uh, the car over, in which case it would work just fine. <laughs> you know? Okay, the air. but is air's gonna go bad. to the highest point. So okay. any air that's in there is going to rise up that line rather than come out that bleed port, which is the lowest point.
1: That's why reverse okay. bleeding, it works so well, because mm-hmm,
0: you're forcing yeah. air back in the direction that it would normally go. It wants to go. go anyway, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right? All
2: right, thank you. Okay, Todd, right, thanks, man. Yeah.
0: Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Jerry online. Good morning, Jerry. Good
2: morning, Louis. Yes, sir. Louis, I was calling you about a problem I'm having. Hearing the directional signals on my truck and on my wife's car. Okay. I've got a 95 GMC pickup truck and Mm -hmm. she drives an 01 Infinity. Okay. Losing hearing, I've got a hearing problem. But is there anything I can do to make that ticking
3: sound get louder?
0: Well, on the truck, yes. You can just change the flasher unit, and you could probably go to a heavy-duty flasher unit, and that's going to fix that problem. That's not going to be an issue. On the Infinity, probably not, because that's going to more likely be an electronic noise that it's generating somewhere in the system. I don't think they make variable ones. Some of those is actually, it runs through the body control module, and the noise you're hearing is coming out of the radio speakers. I'm not sure how that particular one's made. I'd have to look at it. But there's very little you're going to be able to do to amplify the noise on that one. Maybe there is, and I'm just overlooking it. I mean, if you bring the car in, I can look and see if there's anything. But on your truck, just go to a parts store and tell them you want a heavy duty flasher unit. Pretty easy to change. I mean, just turn it on, you'll hear it ticking. Look under there until you see what's ticking. Okay. Unplug it and plug a new one in. But they got different ones that make different volumes. Heavy duty flasher. Yeah, a hard of hearing flasher. Okay.
3: Thank you.
2: Tell All right, Mr. Jerry Lane, Hello. I will, man. Thank, thank you. you bye bye.
0: Four nine 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 five two six a number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Fred online. Good morning, Fred.
3: Hey, good morning, Lewis. How What's are you doing? Doing right? great, sir. Great, great. Got a question, please. Got a '96 Chevy Blazer. Uh huh. Low mileage, runs great. Started hearing a low hum or a almost like a low flute type of noise. Okay. And when I get to it, it sounds like it's coming from the fuel injector, just in front of the distributor cap. Put your finger on it; you can feel a little bit of a vibration on it. Hmm conversations with people saying it could be the, the diaphragm is, is there is a in the fuel
0: pressure regulator in there yes sir
3: and humming and it could be either you know result of low fuel pressure doing something to it or it could be that the injectors are going
0: out and i'm just yeah, curious maybe neither one fred because that one only holds about 12 pounds of fuel pressure right. i can't imagine it being too much lower than that unless the pump completely went out i mean 12 pounds is n- nothing compared to most electric fuel pumps okay you know, most of them putting out 40 to 60 pounds nowadays it could just be the diaphragm itself is either partially ruptured leaking or if the spring in it could have busted or something like that And it's just setting up a little harmonic and it's starting to vibrate those regulators can be rebuilt they sell a kit for it and it's not real difficult to rebuild okay you got to take off top of the intake manifold, the intake manifold. Mm-hmm. And everything. So now big- i tell you fred if that is the case and you want to upgrade to port injection gm sells a real nice kit that converts that see that central port injection always was kind of problematic and if it's not causing trouble now it's probably going to cause you trouble little spiders tended to break off and all that kind of stuff it'll still run but it just doesn't run very well because the gas is spraying into the intake instead of the port they sell a kit that's a direct replacement it just you take that entire unit out and this new unit goes right in the same place same wires plug into it same computer drives it. You don't know any difference. Except now it runs better than ever ran before, and you get better gas mileage.
3: What is that called?
0: It's just a conversion kit to convert it to port injection.
3: Hmm. And what about what replacing just the uh, injector part, or
0: no? It replaces the entire unit. You take that entire spider out, the regulator, the spiders, and everything. And you throw it out away, and this unit goes right back in its place, and it has. Either six or eight little injectors, depending on what engine you got. And the computer runs it just the same as it did with central port. I'll
3: be there. You, I apologize. I'm going to write this down. Mm-hmm. What's the name of
0: that? Well, it's just called a port injection conversion kit. And okay. any good Chevrolet dealer will know what you're talking about. Injection. Mm-hmm. Conversion. Port port conversion. Just tell me you want to convert it to port injection from central port injection. Okay. And about uh, how
3: much would the, something like that run?
0: It's up. kind of pricey. I want to say the, the conversion kit's about $500, and, of course, you got to pull the upper intake off, which is a couple hours' labor. So, I mean, you're going to be up there a little bit, but you got a much better setup, and you fixed pretty much forever, or at least a long, long time after that. Right.
3: Okay, well, look, appreciate it. Okay, for the it. show. All right, man, thank
0: you. Thank for you for listening, now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. 499 is the number if you want to be part of the Automotive iron. right, we're going back to our phone lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe.
4: Hi, Lewis, how are you? Doing wonderful. Louis, I have an 05 Highlander. Okay. And when I stop and take off again, it jerks or lunges forward before
0: it smooths out kind of like a little hesitation and then it goes like it bogs down almost that's right and then it'll smooth out yeah joe most of the time and again i'm saying most of the time because clearly i can't diagnose without seeing the car but most of the time that's a dirty airflow meter on those vehicles the airflow meter is a little device in the airstream and it tells the engine how much air is entering so it knows how much fuel to match to it now, what happens is that over the years, if someone, let's say you go somewhere and they put a cheap air filter instead of the original Toyota part, a little bit of dirt will get through. It'll get on that airflow meter, and now it gets confused because it insulates the little element in there that tells it how much air you got. Mm-hmm. So when you give it to gas, the throttle body opens, it doesn't see that air rushing in, so the engine leans out for just a split second, which makes it bog down or fall on its face soon as it does the o2 sensors say hey we're too lean here and it'll command it to richen up the injector so it'll just cover it up so that's why it's just kind of a brief interval but that fixes an awful lot of those most of the time joe we can clean those because they're kind of pricey to replace Mm-mm. a lot of times we can clean them and that fixes it if you can't clean it you would have to replace it but that uh you, know, you need to get a professional diagnosis to make sure but that fixes that problem a awful lot of times
4: so that's, it's not a fuel filter. No man. no, man. absolutely would not be that. Uh-huh.
0: I'm not saying you don't need a fuel filter, but that would not be uh-huh. that problem. See, when you're taking off, you need the least amount of fuel of ever. A fuel filter is going to act up like when you're going up a bridge or when you're really loading the engine down, when you put uh-huh. it to the floor, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But at low speeds, you're not going to feel it. If it was doing that, then it wouldn't run at high speed at all.
4: Is it rather costly just to have it cleaned No, ma'am. that's what No,
0: ma'am. Relatively inexpensive. I'd say probably under $90 to do the whole deal, okay. to diagnose it and clean it.
4: Okay. Lewis, I thank you very much. All right, and have a wonderful weekend. Well, thank, thank you, ma'am. You. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. 499-9526, the number, if you want to be part of the automotive. I think we got time to sneak another call in here before the break. we got John on the line. Good morning, John.
5: morning, Lewis. Got a quick comment and a quick question. I, okay, I you I have bet. a company vehicle. Mm-hmm happened to be in a local dealership right around the corner from you Uh and they were doing some work on Uh it. uh, Man, the stories that came out of the service advisors coming back and telling these people what they needed. (laughs) Look, I just had front brakes put on that vehicle Mm -hmm. and I was in there for something else. She comes in and tells me that I need front brakes and I don't say anything and I said, well, so how did you come to that determination? (laughs) She said, well, they're about four to six millimeters down. I was like, to six millimeters left or four to six millimeters down. Yeah. She said, I don't know how to talk to the technician. I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. Yeah, no you know? kidding, huh? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Anyway, on to my situation. My son's got an 04 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Okay. He's having problems with the power locks, power windows. Mm-hmm. All the locks don't work, and only two of the power windows go up and down. Okay. And even when you go to the other doors, the passenger side door, mm-hmm. it doesn't work from there. Where do you start?
0: John, where I would start is to get some history on the vehicle if you can. And there's, Did all of these go out at one time, or did one go out and another one go out and another one go out and that kind of thing? That's going to be real important because if one went out and then another one went out and another one went out, you're probably looking at individual problems. And i got to say that the window motors and the door lock actuators on those vehicles are notorious for going out. So, it could just be that you got two window motors out and two door lock actuators out. However, if it all happened at one time, that's highly unlikely. What you would do next is to pull the door panel off, just pick a door since they, most of them don't work, and get a voltmeter and go to the circuit. Go across your circuit, kind of back probe that circuit where the actuator is, hit the button and see if you got power and ground. If you Perfect. got power and ground when you hit the button, then you know it's in the actuator because you got signal there. Now, if you don't, then obviously you got to back up and go down. But I would start out by questioning and see if it all happened at one time or if it happened at individual times.
6: Okay.
0: All righty? Okay, bud. Thanks okay, so John. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. Alan, you hold on. You're going to be straight up after this break.
7: Travel my way, take the highway, that's the... Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone. Here's a message for you. PUT THE PHONE DOWN! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at AGCO determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. One more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey,
0: welcome back. you join us the Automotive Hour. Your host, Lewis Albersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, treat to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? I'll be glad to kind of talk with you. and Sure, that's right. questions answer. Get your questions answered, too. <laughs> Let's go right straight back to our phone lines with Alan.
1: Good morning, Alan.
0: Good morning,
6: Lewis. Good morning, Brian.
1: Good morning, sir.
6: Got a quick question for you.
2: I'm changing a water pump out on a Mustang. Okay. And how do I get the old gasket off the easiest way without marring the block?
0: You gotta be a little bit careful with that, Alan. Ford is real big on not using any kind of a brush or metal tool on that. In fact, they sell a kit, which I never saw what really works that well, but it's got some kind of a detergent in it that softens the adhesive and a plastic razor blade. And they kind of sell that for the head gaskets and the intake gaskets but you could do the same thing. I mean, technically, if you're very, very, very careful, you can take something like a single-edge razor blade and just don't dig into that aluminum because if you do, you're going to have a leak forever. Don't put any kind of a metal tool on it like a grinder wheel or a wire brush or anything because you can definitely scratch it up, but if you spray something on, I've had pretty good luck actually spraying something like WD-40 on them. That tends to soak into that old gasket and softens up the adhesive somewhat. Won't hurt anything in the world, and you know something like that'll help. They do make other things that supposedly will soften them and all that, but you got to be a little bit careful. You don't want anything strong enough to eat into the aluminum.
6: Right. Okay. That answers my question. Yes, Thanks, sir. Now
0: one last thing. I don't know if you got a heat gun or not. A heat gun works pretty well on that. Maybe you can use a hair dryer. I'm not sure, but. Take put a little bit of heat on them. It, a lot depends. If it's a factory gasket, it's going to come off pretty easy. If someone's been in there before and put some weather strip adhesive or something like that on it, well, that can be the booger to get off, I can tell you. Right. All righty.
6: Okay, thank you much. Okay,
0: Alan, thanks, right, man. Have a Bye-bye. great day. Uh-huh. 499-9526, the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive I we'd love to have you. And we've got Charles in line. Good morning, Charles.
2: Hey, Lewis. Yes, sir like your program. Well, thanks, sir. I've got a 2000 Buick LeSabre. Okay. it got 84,000 miles okay. on it. And i got two questions. You bet. I guess it's getting near time to change the spark plugs. Okay. And the second question would be, would it be all right to put spark plugs in instead of ACs?
0: I don't do that. Charles is I don't see any advantage to it whatsoever. The AC Delco is the original equipment plug. It's made for the car. It's going to work real real well. I just see absolutely no advantage to going to anything else. They don't mm-hmm. do any of the stuff they claim they do. A spark plug does one thing, it generates a spark. And all this stuff with multiple gaps and multiple this and multiple that does absolutely nothing. I mean, a spark is a spark as a spark as long as the gaps within specification. The AC Delco plug that came in there is an iridium plug, which is a very good plug. The 3.8 is a little bit tougher on plugs than, say, the 5.3s and all that are. I know on my Buick, I had to change mine about 85. I was starting to get a little bit of misfire, and I had a plug that actually failed on me. So we seem to see where the 3.8s, somewhere around 80,000, they're pretty tired. I would go ahead and change the wires too, Charles. Reason being, by the time the plugs go out, the wires going to be real tired. And by the time you get that wire off that plug, because it's going to be practically glued to it you know after – 13 years of being on, you're yeah. probably going to end up breaking the wires. And again, same thing. I go back with AC Delco. I'm not a huge AC Delco fan. I think as a company, they leave a lot to be desired. And they've got actually two different product lines. You got to be very, very careful. You want the original equipment part. They have what they call a professional line, which is just junk, in my opinion, aftermarket junk in an AC Delco box. So you just soon buy any kind of junk if you're going to buy that. But be sure you get the OEM delco plug and oem delco wire and the only way to tell them part is by the part number unless you got a honorable parts guy who can tell you the difference
2: i see okay well i know that with the if you read the advertising Mm -hmm. it's a platinum and it's supposed to
5: be better and all no no No, i can tell
0: you we got a 55-gallon drum of aftermarket plugs and wires behind my shop that we take off every day because somebody's put all that junk on there, and now it doesn't run right. Yep. Now it's hard to start. Now it's misfire. Now check in
1: your lights on. We, we strip to... all that junk off, put the original parts back on, and fix it. We
2: just buy the package, you huh?
1: know? Yep. In that box of plug wires, there's going to be some silicone lubricant. Make mm-hmm. sure you put a little bit of that on the spark plug end of the wire where the wire actually goes onto the plug that'll mm-hmm. keep it from hearing up next time to the plug it'll save you from next time having to to tear the wires up get them off again mm-hmm.
5: okay all right well very good thank all right. you thanks for calling,
1: in
0: okay bye bye 4999526 number if you want to be part of the automotive i we'd love to have you we see tons and tons and tons of this aftermarket junk out there and I know I had an email here from a gentleman. He was asking me, he says, what do you think about this new waterless coolant? Right. And that's a coolant that doesn't have water in it. And I said, well, I really haven't ever used it myself. I've seen several reports that claim it really doesn't do any good, cost a whole lot more, but it's awful hard to beat just – factory coolant with distilled water changed on a regular basis
1: and if you think about it if it was that great the engineers would be using it already yeah if
0: they could cut their warranty costs and cut all their problems like they say do why wouldn't they just put it in there exactly because I mean they're all for not spending money I'll guarantee you that you know (laughs) and talking about coolant that's the topic of this week's detailed topic and last week I started out with a pretty in-depth article on understanding automotive coolant This goes into the different types of coolant, why coolant goes bad, what happens when it goes bad, touches on galvanic action, how corrosion occurs in cars and all that. This week is on how to change your own coolant or how to make sure the guy who is changing is doing it properly. And you would think something like that would be real simple. You would think, but but it's not. It's a pretty involved deal. So pop on there at www.agcoauto.com. Read that article. You're going to know more about coolant than most. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more.
7: Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boo's off to a deserted island. And watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for $500 and give them a lousy job. Listen to me. and Take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, hey welcome
0: it back. If you join you us, the Automotive hour, hour. I'm your host, Louis Albazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Want to hey, why don't you go give us a call? We sure appreciate hearing from you. And if I you go to our website the and the click on Podcast, you'll see a little stopwatch mobile. there on the side, which yeah. kind of counts down how long it is to the next Automotive Hour. Okay. If you click on that, it'll bring you to a live feed where you can listen anywhere in the United States. I'm not sure about out of country because I never been out of country mm. trying to click it. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a trip into making. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But if you click on that, you can listen to us live. That way, you can actually call in live. Oh, and that'd be great. Get a free Agco T-shirt, folks calling in from outside the two two five calling area. Yeah, whoever calls in the furthest distance will get a free Agco T-shirt. USPS out to them on Monday morning. They
1: are gonna get the covered in Baton Rouge
0: original. Baton that, Rouge original. That's sir. it, man. Well, you know, if you could send this out of state or out of Area, we need yeah. to have something with the words Baton Rouge on there. Because, All right. Uh, if they just see the ACO logo, they're not
1: going to wear any devil. That's wrong. But to see Baton Rouge, then there you go. Everybody knows where Baton Rouge is at, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, probably not everybody, but more and yeah. more are. If you get an ACO t-shirt, you'll
1: know. There you go. There you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, 499-9526, area code
1: 225. Give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Yeah. I noticed this morning coming into the show, the price of gas is climbing again. Mm-hmm. And jumped 30 cents in the last week and a half two weeks yep and we got an email here from a gentleman in Alabama mm-hmm. and he was saying that he bought an f250 a few months ago it's got about 4500 miles on it mm-hmm. wow. just bought it oh, okay. It's a new, brand brand one. okay brand new one okay. yes okay. and he bought a flex fuel vehicle okay which is a vehicle that is designed to run on 85 percent ethanol that's correct And what happens is this ethanol is actually a lower volatile fuel, Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be cheaper to produce than gasoline, and therefore they run it at a cheaper price. And Mm -hmm. he was saying that he passed one of these stations, it was like 30 cents cheaper than regular fuel. That's correct. And he wanted to know if he could run that in and still get the same gas mileage that he was getting before. Mm Mm-hmm. And what we've come to to find out is ethanol doesn't burn as well as gasoline does. Right, doesn't have the energy in it. So therefore, you don't get as much gas mileage out of it as you do regular fuel. You can actually go, we
0: have a calculator on the site, and you can compare two vehicles, or you can compare the same vehicle with two different mileages, And what you can do is go ahead and fill up with the E85, check your mileage, and then go in, type in the price, type in the mileage, and see which one's actually less expensive to burn. And basically, ethanol has 33% less energy by volume than gasoline has. So when you go to 10% ethanol, you're going to drop about Uh 3.3%. But when you go to 85% ethanol, you're going to drop considerably more. So the difference in price may very well cost you more to run the ethanol than it does to run gasoline. I know I made the same comparison with the calculator on the site, and what I did is I typed in the cost of running 91 octane in my car as opposed to running our 87 octane, And I can actually afford to run the 91, 91 over the 87 because it's about 20 cents a gallon more, but it saves me almost two miles to the gallon, which... When you do the math on it, it comes out cheaper for me to run that than it does to run the 87. Right. You're actually not looking at the immediate cost. I'm You're not looking, looking at, at the, the price. Cost. I'm looking at the overall cost. Right. And when I go on vacation, I want to see how much fuel I'm going to burn and how many miles I'm going to go. And I can go more miles, less dollars running the 91 than I do with the 87, right. simply because it has a higher octane rating, which allows the computer to advance the timing slightly more. It'll run fine on 87, sure. but it's going to retard the timing to do it. And when it does, you're going to lose some mileage, or at least I do. I'm right. not saying everybody does. And I'm not saying it's a blanket statement that it's be cost effective. But again, there's a real cool little calculator on the site, and you just go in there and you type in your vehicle with the mileage and the price and the Right on the side of it, you type in the same thing, the mileage and the price, and it's going to tell you which one's cheaper. Sure. And because it's kind of hard to calculate in your head. Right.
1: It <laughs> has a lot of a lot of calculations going on Especially there. Especially if you graduate in the last 30 40 years.
0: <laughs> a little jam well, I was going to say, that was wrong. Right. Right. That was
1: just wrong. That's it.
0: That's the way that goes. Okay. <laughs> Talking about fuel mileage and stuff like that, the biggest saver of fuel mileage is the way that you drive the vehicle. I know folks who go out and spend thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 to save four or five miles to the gallon. And they could probably do the same thing just by changing their driving style. And on the site, if you go in and type in like miles per gallon, MPG, something like that in the search bar, it's going to bring up an article. And basically gasoline is energy. And it requires a certain amount of energy to push a certain amount of weight a certain speed. And it's sort of like if you're riding a bicycle or walking or anything else, your body is using energy, and it just requires more energy to run across the block than it does to walk across the block. Well, it's the same exact thing with your car. When you start to accelerate it, it's going to use up more energy, a.k.a. gasoline. Mm -hmm. And the more aggressively you drive, the faster you drive, the harder you accelerate, those sorts of things, your mileage is really, really going to drop. And on a modern vehicle, it's sort of kind of a double whammy because the vehicle is going to learn the way that you drive. Right. So when you accelerate, what it's going to do is going to say, okay, they need to make power. So it's going to move the shift points up on your transmission. It's going to wind the engine up a little higher. It's going to do some things like that, and it's going to learn that. So it's going to start to operate that way because it's going to try to respond to what you're requesting. Right. that is your style of driving that's right if you start to drive easily it's going to move those shift points back down it's going to do some things to reduce the power and increase the economy because cars are real real smart nowadays and they can actually learn the way you drive sure so if you really really want to save a lot of money on gas i mean the difference in a couple of miles per gallon is probably equal to about 20 30 cents at the pump depending on how many miles a gallon you get so it's really, really a big, big deal and you're just driving, say, sixty nine instead of seventy two. On some cars that may account to two to three miles a gallon. Yeah, I know it makes a big difference on your Buick. Oh, it does. It drops me three miles a gallon to go three miles an hour faster. And if I do the math, I mean, there's just no way I'm too tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the amount of time difference is about 15 minutes for every 100 miles I drive, uh-huh. which to me is nothing. Yeah, I'm 15 not in a hurry minutes. Anyway. When I'm on vacation, I'm not in a hurry. I can stop and get a cup of coffee and eat that up. Oh, yeah, quick. So, yeah, I'm more into saving money than I am saving time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines with Don. Good morning, Don.
2: Yes, sir. One reason I really love your show is sometimes you come up with something – which I consider really off the wall that okay. I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying that you do not top off your gas tank because it overflows and destroys the rubber and the fuel pump or something Well, it like can that. go into
0: the EVAP system and wipe out the charcoal canister, which can cost you some big bucks. Had a car in the shop this week with exactly that problem.
2: So how do you do with that? Well, you what you want
0: to do when filling up, when the nozzle cuts off the first time, just go ahead and stop right there. Just consider that full. And I know you could probably put another gallon or two in. But resist that temptation, because I'm going to tell you, a charcoal canister on the average car is probably $300, $350, bucks plus labor, plus diagnosis. So, And the charcoal gets out through the system. We had a gentleman picked up his little Nissan truck, spent about $1,600. And the charcoal had gone all through the system, took out all the valves, all the little solenoids and the check engine light popped on well he took it to a shop who says okay this valve is bad they changed the valve it lasted about a month and a half went out again so he went back and they changed another one same thing and by the time he came back around to the same valves again he said something else is going on so he brought it in and what we found was a ruptured charcoal canister and what the other shop was doing was treating the symptoms they were changing the clogged up valves but they weren't looking at why they were clogged up so yeah when the pump cuts off the first time just go ahead and consider that full now obviously there are some pumps that just prematurely cut off you know you only put two gallons and it's cutting off well that's just something you got to deal with but you don't want that gas to come up that filler neck. when it does it can actually back up into the evap system and if that happens those systems are designed to run on fume not liquid gasoline if liquid gets in there it's going to dissolve the plastic and charcoal canister is going to break down
6: well, I'm assuming this happens over time. It and does, it does.
5: Hopefully I can stop doing
0: that now. I actually used to be notorious for doing that myself because I don't like stopping to get gas. So I'd fill it all the way up to the top. And I've never had one of my canisters go bad, but again, I've just been lucky. It's sort of like anything else. Just like a man who smoked cigarettes for 60 years doesn't come down with cancer. He just got lucky. But if you look right. at 10,000 or 100,000, more of them are going to have problems that do that than don't do that. So. Just a good habit to get out of. Just go ahead and cut when it cuts off the first time, just stop it right there.
6: All right, sir. That's what I need. Thanks. Okay, Don. Thanks, man. All right,
0: man. sir. Bye-bye. 499 number. If you want to be part of the automotive I we'd love to have you. We're going back to the phone lines with JW. Good morning, JW.
2: Yeah, Louis. Just a generic question. Mm-hmm. I would like to know any information you can give me on the black Boxes that there have been installed on these cars for years, but it just leaked out to the public. <laughs> I will take my comment off there, so thank you much, buddy.
0: Okay, JW, thanks for calling me. Uh. Basically, JW, there are a number of things on your car that are compiling information on you that could technically be called a black box, I guess. Even the body control module and the power control module are collecting data on you. For instance, every time a fault code occurs, it's going to record the speed you're driving. It's record the amount of acceleration. It's going to record all kinds of stuff. It may, depending on the year mile, even time stamp it or date stamp it. But I think the one you're actually talking about is what they call the SIR module. Now, what the SRI module, that's the Supplemental Inflatable Restraint, and what it does is that when the car is involved in a collision, it is going to record all the data involving that collision. For instance, were you accelerating? Did you have your foot on the accelerator? Did you have your foot on the brake? And so on and so forth. How fast were you going? And that sort of thing. And it's not recording just the second it occurs. It's recording a movie. And a movie may be anywhere from five seconds to 30 seconds to a minute long. And what it's doing is it's constantly keeping this much information. When the event occurs, it's going to put that right in the center of that movie. So it's going to record maybe up to 30 seconds before and 30 seconds after, or depending on the car, five seconds, or whatever the number is. And insurance companies or whomever that might want to refigure what happened, they could go in, retrieve this data, and they could see how fast you were driving, when you applied the brakes relative to the collision, and that sort of thing. And it's just sort of a freebie for the car companies because all the capabilities are there. All they have to do is record it. It kind of gets them off the hook when somebody says, hey, I was pushing the brakes and my car kept going or I was trying to stop my car and, and I had the accelerator stuck and all that. They can go in record that data and says, no, 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 you were not on the brakes, you were on the accelerator. <laughs> so it kind of blows a lot of that and helps them out with liability claims. Yeah, there are many modules on your car and they're all compiling data on you and they are all storing that data and it can be retrieved by the right type of stuff. So, I don't know. Just Some people call it big bros. Some people call it technology.
1: Yeah. Just it's, depends on which end you're looking at
0: which, from. which side of the thing you're looking at it from, I guess. But a good question. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. With Keith, good morning, Keith.
4: Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, I've well, got a question. i got a Kia Sorento. Okay. Uh, it's a 2005.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And what I'm having is is my car is locking automatically. And what I mean by that is, is I'll shut the door. Mm-hmm. On the driver's side, sometimes, and all of a sudden, all four doors will just lock on me. Hmm. Now, other times, what will happen is is I'll go over to the passenger side, Mm -hmm. and I'll pull on the passenger side door, and when I pull out on that door and open it, I've got the door open, but all the locks just shut on me.
0: Yeah, Something's
4: going on there.
0: Yeah, a number of things could cause that. Keith, let me ask you, did you buy the car new? No, sir. It sounds like there may be an aftermarket alarm or security system that's been installed in it maybe even that you're not aware of okay a lot of those have a provision in it that locks the cars under certain conditions i've always found it incredibly annoying and factory systems generally do not do that But if it's got one of those systems, it can certainly lock the doors under certain conditions. And when it starts to malfunction, it'll start doing those sorts of things. That is most likely what the cause is. I
7: understand. Now,
0: what I would do is probably have someone check it. If it does have an aftermarket system, I'd probably have it disarmed, just take it out, and that will most likely cure the problem. Now, if it doesn't, there are things in the factory system that could cause that. For instance, if the wire going to the switch that locks the door is a little bare in a spot and you slam a door and it touches something it's going to think you're locking the door uh,
3: that makes sense it That's could be awesome.
0: something like that it could be the body control module itself is just freaking out for some reason i mean there's a number of things so you're going to really kind of sort of get have to do a little detective work see if it's probably going to have an aftermarket system in it and i would probably just disarm that system and that will most likely clear that up for you
4: now, you, do you all handle that at your Oh, price? yes, sir. I can do that for you. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was just my – I thought it was a computer-type system. Mm-hmm. Like Someone told me there's a module or something that's in there, and sometimes they go bad, which is – Well, it can very that. well.
0: Yes, sir. It has a security module. It has a factory security system. All cars have that. Most people aren't aware it's even in there, but it does have it. And sometimes it's even just a programming issue. Some cars will allow you to turn certain features off, like auto lock. It may be turned on, and you want to turn it off. So sometimes right. it's just a matter of programming. Sometimes it's just a annoying feature somebody put in. It's malfunctioning. But I know right. Ford had that problem with their Mustangs, and they actually came out with a little software thing where you can actually disarm it. And right. that's what most people do is disarm that.
4: Well, I'll try to make an appointment and get over to see
0: you. Okay, Keith. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to have to take one more quick little break. Gary and Randy, hold on. You guys will be straight up after this break.
7: just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen a color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else in facebook terms that's something you'll definitely like one more info visit agcoauto.com that's a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o dot com agco it's the place to go
0: Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we're going back to our phone lines with Gary. Good morning, Gary. Hey,
6: good morning, guys. Can yes, sir. Andy? Yes, sir. After Katrina I left New Orleans and came to Baton Rouge, and that where I learned about your station. That okay. I learned a lot from it, so I appreciate that. Well, thank you, sir. You did send me a T-shirt. Okay. Um, uh, no. Nah. The question I have, I have a 2003 Honda kind of Accord, mm-hmm. and when I'm riding down the road or down the highway, mm-hmm. after it gets to like the second or third gear, it starts like vibrating. Is that something with the transmission screen
0: or what? Almost never. What you need to do, Gary, to kind of isolate that to something you can do real simple yourself that will just absolutely eliminate the transmission as a possibility, is let it go ahead and get up to the speed where it's doing what it's doing, and then just put yeah. it neutral. Let it coast at the same speed. If the vibration is still there, then it's definitely not the transmission. Another thing you could do is drop it down back into second gear and see if the acceler- You know, keep it at the same speed, drop it to second gear. Of course, the RPM will go up, but if the vibration is still there and still the same, then it's definitely not the transmission. Most likely, it's not going to be. It's more it's likely... They only
6: do that when they get to that third gear.
0: Well, but see, third gear is at a certain speed also. So what you need to do is get it up above the speed where it's doing it. Now third gear may be what 45 miles an hour. Exactly. See, so it may just not do it below 45 miles an hour. So get it up to maybe 55 miles an hour, put it in neutral, and let it coast back down through that range. Now if it still shakes when it hits 45 miles an hour, then that's definitely not transmission. Okay. If it doesn't shake at all, it's perfectly smooth. Well, then it's maybe something in the drive line. Again, I don't think it's going to be a transmission problem. But it could be something like an inner CV joint could be bad. That could cause that kind of a problem or lots of other things. Does it just the same in neutral? Then I would suspect something in the suspension that just vibrates at that speed, which coincidentally is when it goes third gear.
1: Right. And by doing this, you have some information that you can give the shop, some specific information Mm -hmm. that you can give them so they can go directly to this problem you're having. Now,
0: one thing too, Gary, I didn't think about immediately when you said that, but if it shakes in other words, it's just like a brief shake, almost like running over a cattle garden road. It,
6: it, it, it don't make the road. It's whole not a continuous shake.
0: It, 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 okay, well, yeah, that could be the torque converter going to lock up. It's not actually third gear. It's probably going to lock up. i tell you what you do is get it up to the speed where it's going to do it and keep your foot on the gas and lightly take the other foot and touch the brake pedal. And if it immediately quits when you touch the brake pedal...
6: Since you said that, might mm-hmm. still be on the gas right. at that same speed, uh-huh. but it's like smoothed out.
0: out. Yeah, it's going to go into lockup. See, if you touch the brake pedal, it'll come out of lockup. Now, if that's the case, then it's probably a torque converter shutter, which is pretty common also. Most of the time, Gary, if you properly service the transmission, you can get that out of the- I mean, worst case scenario, you may have to end up going into the transmission to fix it. But most of the time, a proper service with the Honda Fluid will fix that problem. Now, if somebody serviced it and put a non-Honda fluid, they'll definitely do that.
6: No, well, I had the car since uh, 2006 mm-hmm. and never had no transmission. Oh, okay, right. well, yeah, you way,
0: way, yeah. way past due. And on that one, Gary, you don't have a pan. It's got a sealed case. In fact, if you're pretty handy, you oh, could probably service it yourself. It's just got a drain plug, and you just go drive it, put it up, pull the drain plug, three quarts will come out. Fill it up again with Honda fluid from a Honda dealer. Uh-huh. Go drive it again about 20 minutes. Come back, pull the plug out, drain it out. Put three more quarts fresh fluid. Some of them take three and a half. Some take three. So buy about seven to be safe. And then go so drive it, it again pan. and see if you're shaking is gone. So there's no pan on it? No, no, no pan on it. It's a sealed case. The just just filter, got a drain, drain plug.
1: inside the transmission on that one. Just has a drain plug and a dipstick. Mm-hmm.
6: Let me ask you one last question. Go ahead. I had brought it to, uh, to have it lined up. Mm-hmm. After it got lined up, All of a sudden, when I hit pump, I could hear like a shock or something. Something loose in the front yeah, of the if back. it
0: started right That'd after be- they lined it up, you need to take it back and make sure they didn't leave something loose. They may have left one of the adjustments loose or something on it. But of course, it co- could be coincidental. That just happened to start making noise after they lined it up. It's kind of like I tell people, everything has to start sometime, and you're gonna date it to the last time this happened. Kind of like if I if I eat a carrot today and tomorrow I get sick, did the carrot make me sick or just happen to get sick tomorrow? You <laughs> know. But I just take it back, well, just I- have them look at it and see. It could be they left something loose on or it could be just a coincidence. Yeah,
6: because every time I hit the go down the pump Mm-hmm. Hit
0: yes, sir. They right. Hit yes, sir. And there's a number of things that can cause that. Stabilizer end lengths are one. Sway bar bushings are another. The upper strut mounts are another. I mean, lots and lots of things can cause a noise on hitting bumps, but just take it back to them and have them look at it and see. Chances are it might be related.
6: Okay.
0: And what, what is your website? www.agcoauto.com. A G C O A U T O.com.
6: All right, man. I appreciate it. All right,
0: Gary. Thanks for calling, man. Right. Bye bye. Time to squeeze it on in. He said we do. And we've got Randy on the line. Good morning, Randy. Good
5: morning, Lewis. How yes, are you sir. Doing, doing great, Good sir. Good morning. i got a 2002 GMC
1: 2500
5: HD. Okay. And it's actually a vehicle I inherited from my father-in-law. It didn't get driven that much. And I drove it the other day, and I noticed when pressed on the brake, the flashers came on, both turn signals mm-hmm. on the dash. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So got my wife to get in the vehicle, mm-hmm. and... Put it in gear and press the brake. Yes, sir. On the, the rear, the turn signal, mm-hmm. both turn signals lit up.
0: Yes, sir. That's almost always, Randy, going to be one of two things. Most of the time, somebody has put a bulb into one of the rear sockets and put it in improperly, either forced it in, put the wrong bulb in, and it's shortened across, and so it's picking up a transient ground, which backs up in the system. Most of the time, that's it. If you go and pull it off, take all the bulbs out, and see if it quits doing it then go ahead and get some new balls, put them back in there one at a time, and you'll probably fix that problem. If that's not the case, you might check and see if someone's put a trailer hitch on it, and if they have the trailer wiring, if it's improperly installed, can cause the same exact problem. And I'm sorry, we're just totally out of time. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd
1: like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, get some more people listening to our podcast.
0: That's right, and really appreciate you go on iTunes and give us a written rating. Boy, a written review, that really, really makes our day. We didn't get any last week for some reason. Really? Yeah, it kind of put me out, but that's oh. the way it is sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Preceding one's opinion, based on our experience in the automotive industry, have a great weekend.